I guess adults, you're going to have to step in. Need some volunteers. We're going to cut another link from our unleashed debt reduction chain. Come on, need some help. Need some help. Let's pull it out. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Come on up here. I heard that. There's too many men up here. Come on up here. You complain, you volunteer. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's 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 put this one at at one of the ends over here, and stretch it out all the way to the end there. All right. Uh, some of you know what we're doing here. Some of you may not know what we we're doing here. Uh, we are a part, we, we have been participating in a uh, debt reduction campaign. And this is how we are marking our progress towards this. Excuse me. Uh, the long chain, you see we have two chains here. One, uh, the long chain. This represents the total debt that we took when we started uh, building this building uh, way, about 20 years ago. And this represents... million. That's how much we went into debt when we built this building 20 years ago. And so uh, uh, that's the long chain. And 14 months ago, in February of 2016, we began this debt reduction campaign because we wanted to, to knock this debt out. It has been hanging around our neck for 20 years, and it was time for us to do something about it. At the time, we were just a smidge under $600,000 in debt. 14 months ago, okay? So this is where we were 14 months ago. Each one of these links represents $10,000. And so at that point, we started a concentrated effort towards paying down our debt. And um, as of the end of April, our balance is $436,170, which means that today we will cut our 16th link since beginning our campaign, with each, each link representing $10,000, which means that we have paid over $160,000 in 14 months. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty good. I, I want you to take that in consideration. See, see from over here to right here, it took us 20 years to pay that off. This has taken us 14 months. That's taken us 14 months. In that 14 months, we've paid almost 27% of the debt that we owed when we started right here. Okay? And so after today, we will only have 43 more links to go to be completely rid of this chain that has been holding us captive. Uh, We are on a pace that I hope we can keep up and maybe even accelerate, of about a link a month. And the more we pay, the more of our regular payment goes towards principles and less towards interest. And so the more we pay down, the quicker, the faster we will pay it down. The more 
the faster this debt payment is accelerated. And so each month we are getting just a little bit closer to unleashing ourselves completely from our debt. So we're going to do, we're going to cut another link here. And I couldn't find any scissors anywhere. So <laughs> it's a good thing they're, they're uh, crepe paper or whatever, construction paper here. They're easy. We're going to cut another link here. And uh, so this represents another $10,000 in debt that we are not in debt. So thank you. Thank you for your continued generosity. Thank you for your continued faithfulness uh, to make this happen. And with everybody doing what they can, we continue to make huge strides towards knocking this thing out. So thank you. Thank you, everybody. Let's stand and greet each other in the name of the Lord.
us pray together. Oh God of all blessings, source of all life, giver of all grace, on this Sabbath day we pause to give you thanks for so much, for the beautiful colors of summertime, for restful vacations, for the anticipation of new beginnings, and most of all, for your grace that helps us to become more than we could ever dream or imagine. We thank you for your enduring presence in our lives. And we are here, O God, because we want to walk with you. And yet we recognize how easy it is for us to wander away. So send us the blessings of your forgiveness to ease the spiritual dryness that has shriveled our our souls. Help us to become more like you and less like our shadowy selves. We come this morning willing and open, ready for you to lead us back to your heart. It is our hope that you might give purpose to our day and peace for our souls and the grace to be your hands at work in this world. Lord, you have always welcomed the one who knew that they needed you, inviting them to come close to find your touch upon their lives And in these quiet moments, we remember the names of those who need you. We voice our deepest prayer that you will meet each one according to each of their needs. We cannot live in our world without seeing needs all around us. And so we pray that you would open our eyes to the people that you want us to serve. Family members who need our attention. Strangers to whom we can offer a kindness. Needs that we have the resources to meet. Wherever we go, let us be your hands and your feet, your laughter, your joy in the lives of those we meet. And bless us today because we have come in your name to pray and to just be together. Join us, O God, and show us your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.
May we pray together, please? Gracious God, we thank you for this time we share together this morning. Open our hearts to your truth, Lord. And as we worship, challenge us to be your light and your presence to those around us. Help us to recognize the opportunities for service you lay out before us to be giving and helpful. Bless these tithes and offerings that they may be used for your holy purposes. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
I will read in Acts 1, 6 through 14. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the time of the period that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be in my witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going to, they were gazing up toward the heavens. Suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand, look up toward the heavens? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come down the same way as you saw him go into heaven. When they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olive, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they were went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, but Bethlehem and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zelot and Judas the son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to the prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. This morning our message is the marks of an authentic church. Well, I believe the marks of an authentic church is that everyone is working together. Nobody just comes and sits and waits to be waited on. We all help and work together. So our message in song this morning is something for all of us. We're going to start with our organist who's going to work. Then only the men will work the first verse. Only the women work the second verse. We all work together for the third verse. And our pianist will finish so beautifully as she always does for the last verse. So as we begin, we all have our own task, starting with our organist, because brethren, we have come and met to worship.
fun, isn't it? You know, I like having fun in church. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mark of an authentic church, isn't it? And, and, and though things are changing in church, things are, y'all are laughing, what are y'all laughing? Okay. There's this Mark being Mark. Uh, things are changing in churches. Things, things change in our world. Things are changing in churches. And uh, things are not the same as they used to be 10 years, 15 years, 20, 30 years ago, are they? Things are different. There's a professor right here in Kentucky over at Asbury Theological Seminary. His name is Charles Killian. And he has described a mythical modern worship service like this. The pastor says, praise the Lord. And the congregation responds, hallelujah. And then the pastor says, will everyone please turn on their tablet, PC, iPad, smartphone, and Kindle Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13.13. And please switch on your Bluetooth to download the sermon. Then there's a pause. Now let us pray, committing this week into God's hands. Open your apps, BBM, Twitter, and Facebook, and chat with God. And that's followed by a silence. Then he says, as we take our Sunday tithes and offerings, please have your credit cards and debit cards ready. You can log into the church Wi-Fi using the password Lord909887. And then the ushers will circulate mobile card swipe machines along among the worshipers. Those who prefer to make electronic fund transfers are directed to computers and laptops at the rear of the church. Those who prefer to use iPads can open them now. 
those who prefer telephone banking, take out your cell phones to transfer your contribution to your church. By the way, that's more than just a suggestion. (laughs) He says the holy atmosphere of the church becomes electrified as all the smartphones, iPads, PCs, and laptops beep and flicker. And here's how Professor Killian visualizes the final blessing. This week's ministry cell meetings will be held at the various Facebook group pages where the usual group chatting will take place. Please log in and log in and don't miss out. And he says Wednesday's Bible study will be held live on Skype at 1900 hours GMT. You can follow your pastor on Twitter this weekend for or this week for counseling and prayers. God bless you and have a nice day. That's, uh, that's one man's playful description of where the church is headed. And we're not there yet, but who knows what the future may hold for church. But you know, if you think about it, if you really think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing that the church has survived as long as it has. Especially since it depends on people like you and me. Dr. Donald Strobe tells about a man who woke up one morning with a terrible hangover. And his friend looked at him and said, man, your eyes look terrible. And the man said, you should be looking out from this side. And then Strobe says to those who would point out the church's imperfections, I can only say you should be, you should be looking, in, looking out from this side. It reminds me of a silly story about a pastor who was a, a very good man, but not a very good driver. Uh, Nibby and I were talking about this before church today. That's people who weren't very good drivers. But it seems that this man, this pastor, was a little bit vain. And his eyes were, were going bad, but he wouldn't stoop to wearing glasses. And one day he was driving along a curvy road, and he missed a turn and went off into the ditch. Well, a church member happened to come along, and recognizing his pastor, he stopped and he asked, Are you hurt? And the pastor answered, No, I have the Lord riding with me. And the church member chuckled and said, Well, you might want to let him ride with me because you're going to kill him if you, with, with your driving. <laughs> and if you think about it, it, it's a wonder that after over 2,000 years, the gospel is still alive especially considering the group of people who God has entrusted that gospel to. My friends, the church is far from perfect. We are not perfect. We are not perfect. We have many flaws. And yet, I still have to admit that I love this grand enterprise called the church. There's a story about General William Westmoreland, who led our troops during the Vietnam conflict. It seems that the general was reviewing a a platoon of paratroopers one day, and as he went down the line, he asked each trooper a question. How do you like jumping, son? Love it, sir, the first man answered, the first soldier answered. How do you like jumping, son? He asked the, the next paratrooper. The greatest experience of my life, he said. How do you like jumping, he asked the third. I hate it, sir, the paratrooper said. 
Then why do you do it? Asked Westmoreland. And the young man thought about it for a moment, and then he said, because I love being around guys who love to jump. You know, there's a lot of reasons why people join a church. But you know what? I suspect that the main reason why people want to join a church is because they love being around people who love the Lord. And I know that's true for me. Some of the finest people that I know are right here in this room today. And yet still, we're not all that we ought to be. And we are certainly not all that God has called us to be. And the amazing thing about the church is that it has not only survived all of these years, but it, it, it claims hundreds of millions of souls around the world in its, in its membership. So how did that happen? Starting out from just a tiny group of people in the early church, how did that come to be with, with all of our frailties and flaws? How does the church continue to survive like it has? Well, one place that we may be able to find an answer to that is Acts 1, verse 4, uh, verse 14, I'm sorry. It's a very brief verse, and it, it barely even merits a footnote of recognition. But in it, we read these very important words describing the early church, the early Christian church. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. My friends, there it is in a nutshell, the secret of a vital church, fellowship, and prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. You know, the church does a lot of good things, but I would have to say that those two things are the most important sources of a church's vitality and power. Because you see, these activities combine the the, the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of life. We could strip away everything else that characterizes the church, but as long as these two things remain, fellowship and prayer, the church will be a force to be reckoned with. So let's begin today with fellowship. The writer of Acts says they all joined together. Sunday school teacher asked the boys in his class to define fellowship, and one bright, smart aleck kid said, Well, it's two fellows in a ship. <laughs> smart aleck kid, I'll tell you what. But you know, actually, it's not a bad definition, is it? The church has often been compared to a ship sailing through the waters of time and space. And so. We're all in the ship together, aren't we? But it doesn't quite reach the level of fellowship because fellowship refers to more than just the fact that we're fellow passengers on this ship. You see, it also refers to a, a quality of interaction. It's not just being here. It's the quality of interaction we have. It is the caring that we have for one another. It is the looking out for one another. That's what really defines fellowship. In the earliest days of the church, a Roman named Aristides described Christians to Emperor Hadrian by saying this. He said they love one another. 
They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they freely give it to the person who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit of God. And you see, it was, it was that quality of caring that was so unique in that pagan empire that most impressed those who encountered those early Christians. And I think that that quality is still the church's greatest asset today. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that every Christian contributes to that caring spirit. Uh, author and speaker Chuck Swindoll tells about a, an experience that he had a number of years ago that was kind of disturbing to him. He was at a banquet. Uh, he's speaking at this banquet, as a matter of fact. It was attended by almost 2,000 Christians. And Swindle says that the spirit was, was just electric with excitement at that meeting. They, they, had, they enjoyed a delicious meal and a, a, a and, and superb music was shared by everyone. They were experiencing a rare blend of, of unity and love. And, and everything was wonderful. Everything was going great. And then suddenly the meeting was disrupted by a young man who, who pushed his way into the room. And he began to shout his disapproval of what was going on that night. And, and, and he was proclaiming some conviction which he held. He was asked to leave as as people stared in disbelief, but he refused. He just continued on with his diatribe at the top of his lungs, and his face was stern, and his voice was shrill. And then finally, after he was forcibly removed from the, from the room, they were able to continue and complete the events of that evening. But the spirit of the unity and, and enthusiasm was never fully recovered. Swindoll found out later that this man, who claimed to be a fellow believer, regularly does this kind of thing. In fact, this man believed that this was his calling in life. He was convinced that he had what he called the gift of rebuking. Try to find that in the Scriptures. And so he travels around disrupting religious meetings. Well, now I know why disagreeable people sometimes make their way into the body of Christ. It's because they have the gift of rebuking. And all this time I just thought they were grouchy. But fortunately, people like that are in the minority. Most of us would agree with missionary evangelists E. Stanley Jones, who never got tired of saying that everyone who belongs to Christ belongs to everyone who belongs to Christ. In other words, we're all family. We belong to one another. And the quality of our fellowship determines to a great extent the power of our witness. In his prayer for the church recorded in John 17, Jesus prayed that his followers would all be one. And so fellowship is an essential part of the life of the church. 
Second thing that motivates the church is prayer. With fellowship, we draw power from one another. But with prayer, we tap into the power of God. Many of you may know that some of the fastest growing churches in the world are in South Korea. Richard Wilkie, in his study of churches, tried to interrogate some Korean pastors about a, a tremendous, the, the tremendous growth of churches there in, in South Korea. And, and so he, he was talking with one particular pastor and he asked about the things, uh, things like uh, class meetings and programs and evangelism and starting new churches and things like that. But the Korean pastor finally replied in in frustration. He threw up his hands and said, you Americans are all alike. You want to know about our programs, but you never ask about our prayers. My friends, prayer is the other indispensable element of a church that is making a difference in their world. For you see, prayer not only opens up the storehouses of heaven... But it also causes, and this is probably even more importantly, it causes us to take to heart those things that we are praying for. You know? Pastor Eric Ritz has, has noted that some of the greatest moments of history have occurred when Christians prayed so intently that God would be able to use them as the answers to their own prayers. Albert Schweitzer prayed for God to save the natives of Africa, and God said, I want you to help me. And he went to Africa. Mother Teresa prayed for God to, to, to minister to the needy of India, and God said, I want you to help me. And Mother Teresa went to, to India. Martin Luther King Jr. prayed for God to free his people in America. And God said, I want you to help me. You see, every time a Christian prays, God looks for somebody to answer that prayer. And in one way or another, it usually involves the one who offered the prayer. And maybe that's why some of us are afraid to pray, because prayer is engaging ourselves in the purposes of God. And we might be afraid that God might call us to do something. Maybe we do need to do something. I read a story about Archbishop Desmond Tutu that sums up the matter pretty well. This was during the darkest days of the fight to end apartheid in South Africa. Desmond Tutu, of course, was at the front of that, uh, of that cause. And Archbishop Tutu was visiting America He was scheduled to speak at a a large church in a major city, and the church was packed with people. They had to bring in chairs to sit around the edges. Cameras were rolling. The reporters were awaiting his challenging words. The media was there in abundance. And then Archbishop Tutu stepped up to the pulpit, looked out over the expectant crowd, and with tears in his eyes, he spoke one word, pray. Then he sat down. The sermon was over. Desmond Tutu knew what needed to be done. God's people needed to pray. And the rest, as they say, is history. 
fellowship, prayer, the horizontal and the vertical. Whenever both of these elements are present in the life of the church, miracles are likely to occur. But when one or the other is absent, there is a poverty of joy and power. Max Dupree tells about some highly successful tomato growers in California. They were masters at growing tomatoes, but they had one problem. You see, it seems that in the process of getting their tomatoes distributed across the country, many of the tomatoes would get bruised. And so they set to work to accomplish some marvelous things, technological advances there. And, and the first thing they did is they got a machine to, that would pick all of the tomatoes while they were still yellow but, but very firm. And then they would put the tomatoes on an assembly line and pass them on under a, a certain type of light for seven seconds, which, which would cause the tomatoes to turn a rosy pink, almost red. And, and then they devised a, a package that was so strong that they could put a bunch of tomatoes in the styrofoam crate and lift it up to 20 feet high and drop it on the ground and it wouldn't bruise the tomatoes. And they, they made marvelous uses of the latest technologies to get their problem solved. However, after all of this was done, they discovered that they had a new problem. You see, the tomatoes didn't taste very good. They were awful. They didn't taste like tomatoes at all. And so at one level, they were tremendously successful. No more bruises, but also no more taste. Did you know that a church can be highly successful and still miss the point of being church? A church can check off all of the boxes of organization and programming and still miss the point. Fellowship and prayer. Those are the marks of an authentic church. And a church that has these qualities of fellowship and prayer in abundance, that's a church that will be filled with power and with joy. May it always be so at Community Baptist Church. Amen. Let's sing. 456, precious Lord, take my hand. Let's sing together because we are a church who loves to fellowship and pray.
please be seated for just a, just a moment. Got a little business to take care of today, some happy business to take care of today, because we have these two who are coming to unite with our church, uh, Rudy and Felicia Belcher. Uh, they, they decided they want to stay with us a little while, so that's, that's a good thing. And, and of course, they... Yeah, amen. <laughs> this is a wonderful thing. And, of course, they have been uh, very much a part of our, of our fellowship as they have been with us. Uh, Felicia has just done a tremendous job with leading our music and our choir and our musical program. Hasn't she? Hasn't it been wonderful? It's just so uh, it's amazing. Uh, what you can get out of those guys. I'm telling you what. And you're a lot better than the other guy. I love you, Mark. That's right. And, of course, Rudy, has he has taken on the challenge of doing our, our graphics on our screen. Just, just tremendous, and so, so they're already really just plugged into our church in great ways, and and I don't have to tell you what I tell everybody else when they join a church, but I'm going to do it anyway, and that is that we're all ministers. It's exactly what you were saying a little while ago when we were singing singing a song. We all work together. That's the that's the sign of an authentic church. We all work together, and we're all ministers of the gospel, and we are already blessed by the ministry that the two of you have for us. And I hope you're blessed for the ministry that we have for you and, and the ministry that we have for the world beyond these doors as well. And so we look forward to years ahead of sharing that ministry together. Uh, it's, it's like uh, I, the quote I used a little while ago, everybody who belongs to Christ belongs to everybody who belongs to Christ. We're family. And that's what, that's what the church is all about. Would you join me in welcoming uh, Rudy and Felicia to our church by raising your hand and saying amen. Amen. Welcome. We are glad that you are part of our fellowship officially. And uh, I'll ask you all to come with me down here after the service and people will give you handshakes and hugs and things like that and, and, uh, and welcome you. Let's stand for our benediction. Lord God, as you told your disciples that they would receive power to be witnesses, may we also be sent forth with power to bear witness to your good news. When we encounter discord and injustice, may we give witness to your peace. When we encounter poverty and brokenness, may we give witness to your compassion. When we come across pain and suffering, may we give witness to your healing and comfort. When we come across spiritual deprivation, may we give witness to your salvation. We ask that we would be able both to accept the trials of life and to do all that we can to alleviate them, recognizing that in you, O Lord, we live and move and have our being. And we do all of this in joy because we belong to one another. And we do all this in power because we belong to you. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.